Hey, Trails Collective, it is Ellie here. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, I have this very nice backdrop behind me, and um, I just want to say, you know, happy holidays, and I hope everybody is uh, feeling festive and being safe and enjoying the winter running. Uh, tonight, I'm very excited. I have a special guest, Vinny Capadora of Happily Running, local fun family guy around here, and this is going to be an awesome show. So without further ado, I'm going to, I want to thank our Patreon supporters for um, keeping the lights on here. And um, I also want to remind everybody that next week, instead of our regular live show, we're going to have a really special holiday show. It's from 7.30 till 10 p.m. on New Year's Eve. We got a bunch of awesome guests lined up. We got the culture crew. We got um, a stump the R. We've got some prizes. Um, if you guys haven't checked it, checked it out uh, on our Instagram, we're doing a photo contest. So uh, you can get ice beard, a sports bra, uh, festival, festive lights. Just uh, show us what you've got and you can win some really awesome swag from our partners. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Vinny Capadora. What's up? <laughs> Welcome to the Trails Collective Live Show. How are you? I'm awesome. That's got to be one of the coolest intros I've ever seen. Thank you. You know, actually, after I like, made that, I think I showed everybody in my life. I was like, look what I made. And then the only thing I need to work on is I need to get the title page at the end. Like, yeah. it makes no sense. It just says my name like 20 times. Uh, but I keep forgetting to do that. So that's, yeah. you know, when I when I level up, that's when, uh, when I'll get that done. But yeah, I, I like it. That's pretty right. You should pull like a Monty Python and just start putting like weird things in there, like a llama and all that. Yeah, just awesome. just weird stuff. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, when Ian put that photo of like the ad with him and like the the shorts that look like jorts and the sports yeah. bra, I was like, okay, now I know I can do whatever I want here. Cause yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, yeah. We are two days out from Christmas, so I think everybody wants to know, Vinny, yeah. what do you eat on Christmas morning? Uh, normally, it's, I guess it's just whatever, but this Christmas, there's been a special request for waffles. We recently oh, yeah. got a waffle maker here. So. Ooh, so you get, do you have like a special recipe, or is it going to be like the Bisquick? You know, all, all are welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm actually, uh, I try, I have, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm like gluten free. I just, I have problems with gluten. So gluten free stuff is pretty big in this house. So that's really what it is. My wife sneaks in like bananas and pumpkin spice stuff for herself and some of the kids, but mostly it's just plain stuff. And then we just coat it in syrup. Of course. Yeah. Good. Do you do peanut butter on it? We have, uh, not for breakfast. So I've got another like really weird aversion to breakfast foods that aren't served on breakfast. So okay. like dinner is right out for me. I can't, I can't do that. I don't know. Oh, why. Okay. So you're not yeah. like a breakfast for dinner person. No, not at all. I, I don't, it's just, it, it, it bothers me. <laughs> it's got like, it makes me angry when other people do it. I mean, but 
So I could do breakfast at all times, but I do think that breakfast food for breakfast definitely tastes the best. Oh. Like, I mean, I'll eat oatmeal or whatever for dinner if I'm like feeling lazy or I just didn't have time, but it's not as good as like that post run bowl of oatmeal where you're like, oh yes, this yeah. is getting there. For sure. I mean, other than, I mean, I don't know if you did, but when I was younger, like we used to live in on Long Island, the diners were like a huge thing. So if you went out partying and you were drunk and then like two o'clock in the morning, you ended up having, you know, taking a cab to one of the diners and that's when you would eat breakfast food for sure. Because pancakes and eggs and bacon that absorbs everything. Yeah. It just soaks up all that booze. Exactly. And I mean, if you don't throw up and keep it down, it's like, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So growing up on Long Island, did you when um when you were in high school, did you start running immediately or was this something you picked up later? So um my mother when I was I guess somewhere around like somewhere around like fifth or sixth grade, whatever age you are in there, my my mom like it took me to this test to see, I guess what was quote unquote wrong with me. I couldn't sit still. I was getting really bad grades and they're like, you're definitely smarter than this. Um, but what ended up happening was, is they said that I had, I guess they said that I had like mild ADD. They didn't have the H back then. Um, so she gave me a, a pamphlet and was like, Hey, just pick something in here. And it was for sports. And I honestly had no idea what cross country was, but it just sounded rad. Like just, just the name of it just sounded cool. So in seventh grade, I started running and the school that I went to, um, there were maybe five guys on the cross country team. So I moved right up to junior varsity at seventh grade and then moved into varsity like really right after that. And not because I was good, but just because there was really nothing else. Um, so that was when I started running. And then I stopped somewhere around 12th grade um, when I started smoking and hanging out in the band. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, um, what, what instrument did you play? Play drums. Oh, okay. Like school yeah. band or like garage band? Both. So I was, when I was in high school, um, I was in the marching band, uh, like total nerd marching band. I played the bass drum. We marked, walked around doing stuff. Uh, we played giant stadium actually. And then, um, somewhere around 10th or 11th grade, I met a buddy and we, uh, we just formed our band and we played for a while. What kind of music? So it was kind of like, I mean, at the time it was, you know, when like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that like grunge stuff was coming big. So it was like that. But we also had this aspect that we like to just kind of jam and play for a while. So we would have songs that like had no reason or right to even be like 10 or 11 minutes long, but they were just because we would sit in the garage and just hang out. So um, Do you still play? Because I, you know, I could also like redo that whole intro and you could, you could do the music. I So I need to, my, my kid still sits downstairs and my daughter yells at me all the time whenever I talk about it. Um, and the whole thing was like, COVID's going to get me to clean out the basement and find a spot for my drums. And it's December and I mean, COVID's not over. So maybe, but. I mean, you still got a couple more months. Like, let's exactly, talk. Right? like let's be real here. I mean, well, you've been busy during COVID. So, sure. I mean, you you know, it does seem like the world has slowed down, but also sped up a little bit. Like yeah. on a macro scale, I think we've slowed down, but in my, I know in my regular life and also I feel like in yours, we have a lot more responsibilities that are just sort of like directly influencing us. Sure. Um, so, well, before we talk about your race directing and yeah. things like that, that you've been doing, I still want to like go through a little bit of your, more of your history. So you stopped yeah. running in 12th grade because you just started smoking and doing that kind of thing. Did yeah. you, when did you pick up running again? So, um, right after I turned 30, um, I got divorced and I did this whole, like, I guess one of those things where I was like, I need to just fix my life kind of deal. And then. Um, I also have, uh, she's now, she's gonna be fifth in a few days, but she was at the time about one and a half or so. Um, and I was outside, uh, my parents' house and I was smoking a cigarette and she had come running up to me and I did that like really awkward thing where I'd like taken it out of my mouth and I like, like tried to blow it away from her while uh -huh. she was near me. And I just, I just remember feeling like that was just a, like, just, I just felt bad doing it. Like, you know, whatever, if other people want to do it and do it, that's, you know, I'm not going to judge any, but I didn't, I just felt bad and guilty. And I was like, all right, that's it. I got to stop somehow. Um, so I decided to quit smoking and did one of those things where I was like, all right, I used to run and it used to calm me down and make me feel good. 
So I'll try doing it and like really stereotypical. I'm sure, you know, either you or everybody's heard this like same similar story where you just went out and ran and I got like down the block and was like practically puking and couldn't do it. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'm just going to keep going. And I just kept trying to run. Um, and then uh, I decided that when I was in high school, one of the things that I wanted to do was run the New York City Marathon. So I decided to sign up for the New York City Marathon. Turns out it's that lotto process and all that stuff that I didn't know about. Uh, couldn't get into it. And then my cousin was raising money for team and training to run the San Diego Marathon. So I was like, you know what? That's a pretty cool idea. So I just decided to join her. Um, my sister helped me out. And then a whole bunch of really cool serendipitous, serendipitous events um, led me to meet my wife while training for the San Diego Marathon. Um, and then we just kind of kept running. So a lot of it, I think, is her posts the San Diego Marathon. Um, I don't know that I would have, I mean, now definitely, but I don't know that I would have kept it going as much as I did right after that had it not been for her. Did you find that running keep kept you from like smoking and <clears throat> doing those kind of things? Yeah. I mean, you quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think like quitting or, or doing anything. So, so my mom used to give me this advice when I would, when I would complain about wanting to quit smoking and couldn't. Um, and she would always be like, just do it. And, and I like, I know it sounds cliche with the Nike thing or whatever. And she, my mom has, has some mouth on her. So there was often other words in there, but it, it was, it was more, it was more just worry about the how later, but just do it. And, and I think that's really it. And, and, and the how became the running for me, but I, I think even if I didn't run, um, I, I wouldn't do it because at the time I really didn't want to, I didn't want to smoke. I didn't want my daughter to, to smell like smoke. I didn't want her to smell smoke on me or whatever it was. I just, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I miss it a lot sometimes, but I don't, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. so. Are you someone that in other aspects of your life, like you don't really need to hit rock bottom to make a change. You're just like, you know what today for like, for example, like, uh, you know, gluten makes me feel like crap. So I'm just going to stop eating it today. Not like, oh, taper okay. off and then like cheat every other day. You know, all that like are you just somebody that like, you know what? I want to make a change. I'm just going to make a change. It depends. Yeah. Sometimes for a lot, for a lot of things. And I, and I think I can do that. Um, but sometimes I do torture myself a little bit. Like I, I really can't handle um, like certain candies, um, like jelly beans, just really like it, it's awful. They just. I love them so much, but they just make me feel like crap after I've eaten a handful of them. Um, and I'll, I'll still do it. Um, but not as often <laughs> as I used to. Um, but yeah, I think it is. It's, I think it's more, um, it, it's a, it's that balance, right? Like, I think it's like, this really doesn't make me feel good. And this like, doesn't make me feel good for a little bit. Am I willing to deal with that for a little while? Gotcha. When it's something serious, it's like, all right, this needs to go. Yeah, for sure. And, in that, and and to that point, no, it doesn't always have to be rock bottom, but I think it's got to be close enough for me to be like, no, it's, it's bad. So in the 10 years or so between um, your first and second running life, what were you doing? <laughs> what, what, uh, what was your job? Cause I know that you, you didn't always race direct. So no. what was your, what was the previous life? Um, so, uh, I guess right after, um, high school and all that stuff, I was delivering pizza and I was in another band that was kind of doing well ish enough to like make money and pay some rent. Um, and the, the pizza thing was great because I could wake up at like 11 o'clock at night. I mean, 11 o'clock in the morning and go in if I wanted to, if I didn't want to, I would just call them up and be like, nah, not today. And it wasn't a big stress. Um, and then after that, um, I started working at Best Buy and did the whole Geek Squad nerd thing for a little while. Um, and then got into some real IT, which was kind of like small business support um, on Long Island. And we helped around a bunch of those things um, and then got laid off from there. And that was the catalyst to me uh, doing uh, starting Happily Running and, you know, Nicole and I putting on some events. And our first event was a fat ass. Um, so it was it was it was a lot of nerd stuff, a lot of IT stuff, uh, a little bit of like manual labor in certain aspects, but it was mostly IT. That makes sense. Your website looks really good and it yeah. seems like everything seems to be flowing pretty well. So um, let's talk about how you so you met Nicole uh, yeah. training for the San Diego Marathon. Um, mm -hmm. What's the story there? So did you like were you training for the same in the same team or is she your neighbor or something like that? 
Yeah, no. So, so the the way that that specific event worked is the Long Island Marathon. Um, it like it lined up to where the training was really similar to it up to a certain point. Um, so one of those serendipitous events that I was talking about, I wanted to I wanted to not run anymore. I couldn't raise the amount of money, and I was like, screw this, I'm out. Um, and my sister just called me a big baby, and she was just like, you need to knock this off and like figure it out. So I did. Um, and at the time that the Long Island Marathon happened, uh, there were like 50 people on our team. And then when the Long Island Marathon happened, there were now 10 people on our team. So it was like an 18 mile run or something like that. And that's the longest that I had ever run ever at that point. Um, and I was dogging it and I felt awful. And this woman was just running up ahead of me and I needed somebody to talk to. And I was just like, hey, and um, we joke about it all the time because she used to run with her mom every week. Um, so everybody knew them as, you know, the mom and daughter thing. And I, honest to God, was not hitting on her. I didn't even like, I wasn't trying. I just wanted somebody to talk to. Um, and I was just like, hey, so you, you left your mom back there? And that was it. And then we just started talking. Um, and then she was super cool and we were sitting there and I, I have this really big problem. I mean, it's good now. Um, then it kind of sucked, but I didn't know if somebody was hitting on me or not, or if they were flirting, like I have no, I just didn't understand. Um, so she ended up standing there talking to me for a little while and I was just like, yeah, whatever. We're just talking. And then finally she was like, so are you going to give me your phone number or what? Um, so I gave her my phone number and then we just kept talking for a while and uh, we kept running together. And then it was kind of like at one point it was like, are we dating now or not? And so it was pretty Does right. Run count as a date. Cause like yeah. it could, yeah. I don't yeah. know. We did, we made it. So like we were, and it was, I, I don't know, I guess to me, like it was great. And I was actually just talking about this today um, to a friend that like, I, I think it, it breaks down a lot of those barriers, right? Like sure. you're going rockets, you're burping, you're like, you look like garbage for what you think you are. But I mean, some of the greatest, you know, quote unquote dates that her and I had and still try to have in between kids and stuff is, is, is that like you're running, there's no distractions, there's no anything else. Like it's just, it's rad to just sit and talk to somebody. Oh, sure. It's like courting a little bit. Yeah. Like, a, yeah. like I mean, um, for those of us that aren't like super good with the dating apps or just think that's really weird, like at least if we find somebody that joins enjoys our passion and then you know it's not working out if you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to this guy today. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you get to know somebody real quick, right? Like you're spending an hour with them and it's an hour of like, we're either talking or we're not. Like you have distractions elsewhere and you're not drinking or whatever. So there's, there's other things that are there. I don't know. I think it, it is great. Sure. So how long have you guys been together now? Oh, uh, two thousand. that was in 2009. So 11 years. And then how many kids do you have together? Uh, we have two together. Because your daughters are the cutest things. When when you bring them to that track and your little girl is like running yeah. and everybody is like, oh my gosh, this little thing is just, oh, it's so, it's yeah. precious. Yeah, they're awesome. They're pretty rad and they love it. They love all that stuff. I mean, they're, it's, it's, they know it. Um, the only thing that they don't like about it is me not being home as much as I wasn't. So they're, I mean, they're reaping the benefits of COVID at the moment because they, you know, dad's been home since March. I think I've been gone. Like if you put the amount of times that I've been to, gone now, it's been like a combined total of 10 days, if that, since mm -hmm. March, which I would go away for half a month at a time. So for races. Yeah. So when I, so, I mean, I guess to go back to getting into it, um, I started volunteering for um, Bear Mountain to course mark there. Um, and that was when I was running a bunch, but I also really didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, well, at least I'll get to go run the course and I'll just also, you know, course mark or sweep. I think I did at first. Um, and I did that. And the guy that I met there, this guy, Dan, um, he and I, you know, kind of hit it off and we, you know, started talking. He asked me to come help at some other races. I started working for him at some other races. Um, and then he got me hooked up with Spartan Race. And then I went from being a course marker there to being a race director there. And our build cycle there was like 14 days. So you would travel on, you know, on a whatever, on like a, a Thursday. Um, and then you would land and you would start work on Friday and you'd work from Friday all the way through till then two Mondays later. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so you came into like the Spartan, how many Spartan races have you done? Uh, I'd race directed, I don't know, I was there for about four or five years. So maybe 30, 40, something like that. So what was that like? I've always, I've, you know, I try not to be jaded about Spartan. Um, and also today I have to admit, I did just watch like an episode of the Spartan games because they featured yeah. Kellen Taylor and she's yeah. like, you know, just the woman of the year. Yeah. And so um, it's, uh, it, it looks like I wish I could appreciate it a little bit more than I feel like I do because I know those athletes like Ryan Atkins, an awesome ultra runner, mountain runner too. Nicole yeah. Miracle, amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, convince me like what it, does it take to put on a Spartan race and yeah. what's going on behind the scenes? You're talking to the wrong person about convincing. Oh, no. No, that's not, that's not true. I, I So full 100% disclosure, I have done one obstacle course race myself. Um, and it wasn't even a Spartan race. It was uh, an older one by Merrill, whatever they were called, like down and dirty or something like that. And my wife and her family, we all did it together. Um, but I put on a bunch of them. And and I think, I think the wonderful thing about them um, themselves and the events themselves is, is that it's, it's a way for people who who, who wouldn't have another way to test themselves, right? So it, it's this thing where you're like, I can go and I can lift this heavy thing or I can climb this rope or I can get over this wall and it, and it feels very primal and it feels very, very, you know, amazing to you. And and the, the cool thing about it is that I really think that like every, um, I, th I think there's something for everybody and, and, and every moment of you not, like if you're like, oh, I can't climb that rope. Well, you can try that rope. And, and everybody there is is supportive for the most part. Um, I, I think that the company has come a long way um, in what they do. And I think they've done a lot of really great things um, for people. Um, I think it's something that everybody should try at one point or another because it's different. And I, I don't think that you have to you know, complete everything or compete at a high level to be able to do it. There's, there's the, the elite heat that goes off and it's, it's amazing to watch those athletes. I mean, like you said, Ryan Atkins, I mean, there's, there's a couple of other people like, um, there's this dude who works for them, Steve Hammond, who's hands down one of the, like the greatest athletes I've ever seen. He can do that. He can run. I mean, he skis and he lives on the back of, um, uh, Squaw Valley. So like he's in there like skiing all the time and it, just fantastic. Um, there's a couple other people. I mean, uh, uh, Amelia Boone is, is another one who's out there and I, I don't think she does them anymore. She does a lot more running now. Um, but there's, there's a lot of really great stuff out there for it. Um, like I said, I, I think it would be something to try. Um, I, I don't know. I think some of it is also a little, um, I guess, I, I guess to me, there's just too much of that, like machismo attitude towards that specific, event now there are other fantastic ones out there there are um like battle frog was another really great one that's out there um tough mutter i know was still similar um i worked for another race called stadium blitz and they we had really tried to take all of that out of there by you know like by making it a timed event and by making it more about points and each obstacle and you know like not punishing people with burpees but by letting them you know just skip that obstacle and not get the points for it so like you got rewarded for completing instead of punished for not completing so it was a little bit different there um but at the end of the day it's i think it's another thing for people to go out and get active with so it's good Mm -hmm. Well, I have done the Ithaca Tough Turtle. There so you go. That's there we go. I hit my obstacle course exactly. race for my awesome, right? Like so, like if that's if those are the things that come out of it, is if like you know some people have that and it becomes a fad that it can help local charities like that, then absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Um. So you have like I did not know that you worked for all these timing companies. So what are like the biggest logistics like going into putting on races? I mean, I you know, in addition to putting on your own three events, uh you you're also a timing company, you also will consult with other races and stuff. So what do you know that, you know, we're not thinking about the runners when we're coming to the race? Like what are all the things that are going on? So it's really just one that nothing is perfect. And that's, that's really it. Like, so I think my, my biggest, I think my biggest, um, it, like my biggest downfall is where my, 
where I, I hold on, I'm trying to find the words there. I think my, my biggest downfall as a person is where my, I kind of almost have turned that into a talent, if you will. Um, and that's like just being able to react at the last minute. So I procrastinate way too much. I mean, you got the email that it was what, like five minutes before this. And I was like, I, I forgot the Great. link. Yeah, right. Like I should have been ready earlier and I wasn't, but I can succeed a lot of times in there. And I've done that for all my life. And I think that's really what comes down to a lot of race directing is that you, you being able to keep a level head um, in some seriously weird moments and being able to, to be like, all right, well, that's just wrong now. And now I've got to figure it out. Right. Because it's not like a deadline for um, you know, production, or it's not like a, a deadline or, or something that's going to show up. Um, like, um, like for instance, I bought something on, on Kickstarter and they, I keep getting an email that like production slowed down and this thing isn't working right. So we're going to fix it. And that's fine because they can keep pushing that deadline. But when you have a race, folks are showing up there at six o'clock in the morning, whether you like it or not, like you can't push that date back. So you've got to sort things out fast and you've got to figure that out. So there's always something that you're just behind on. There's always something that just isn't there. And it's being able to keep a, a level head and still be able to deliver um, a solid product. What's like an example in one of your races or something you've seen maybe at Spartan or something where something yeah. went wrong or, you know, something broke at the last minute or, you know, you really had to like scramble and make it work? So, I mean, I, I'm sure there are moments that I can, I can, uh, that, that have happened to me. Um, but one of them is, is a, a great example of, of like, uh, I'm not going to blow up who it was, but we were at an event and, um, we forgot to get breakfast for the crew on race day. And that's kind of like a big job. You've got 25 people out there or more who are like, you know, they get up at three o'clock in the morning and they're heading to the event. Um, and you just don't know where it's going to go. And we were driving there and it was just like, Oh, Hey, what's for breakfast? He's like, Oh no. So instead what he ended up doing was having our production assistant go out and get a whole bunch of to go breakfasts from Dunkin' Donuts. And then when we got on site, he was like, Hey, everybody breakfast is on its way. Go get in place, get everything you need situated. By the time you're situated before first heat goes off, breakfast will be delivered to you. And it became a thing. It became a thing after that, that people were like, what? And now they wanted breakfast delivered to them at every race day because it was kind of cool and it worked awesome. And it was just one of those moments where like it could have turned into a problem. It could have turned into a real big issue and it didn't. It was just like, oh, hey, that's it. We got this and it became perfect. Yeah, I remember at Cayuga Trails uh, in 2019, uh, I was like the bagel and coffee person because, and I remember when I got there and you're just the most, if you bring the food, you're the most popular person. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of those things, right? Like, it's just like, Hey, like, and I mean, there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I I've been, I've been out there where, you know, like courses didn't get marked right. Or even last year at Cuga trails, um, I marked course for Ian and we got there and I was, I had, the one of the other guys working with me. I don't know if you did you end up running it this year or no? No. No. So it was it was on there was part of it that was over by buttermilk and then there was the other part of it that was over in the park. And when it before it left the park, somebody had taken all of the markings that we had put the night before. Like literally all of them. Um so I left to go run and I was just like, oh, like just to pre-run it and realized it. So I had to go out there and mark as much as I could um beforehand. So stuff happens. So talk to me about marking a course yeah. or even building a course. You know, I, I talked a little bit about this with Scott McGee in um, our uh, episode. It just seems so complicated, especially to me where I will get lost if the course is not marked because yeah. I do not study the trails. And even if I looked at the map, I'd probably be like, yeah, it's a pretty map, you know? Yeah. Um, so when you're building a course, how do you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is right. Like when it comes to like actually making the course from, from nothing, it's, it's you figuring out what you want to deliver. So you've got somebody like Scott or even Ian who puts on these epic, beautiful courses and, and there there's a reason that they're going to a certain place and they want to deliver a view or, um, you know, an amount of something. If you're just trying to piece something together, you know, to get a course, 
out of somewhere. It's a little bit easier than that, I think, because, you know, it's just finding the trails that connect and then coming up with a certain distance from there. Um, but as far as like marking it, I, I think there's like a, I don't know, I've been doing it, like I said, for a little over 10 years now. So it's, there's so, there's so many things that you just kind of do. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is just like putting a marker to where, you know, like it, I, I don't even know that that's true. I think more it's just being just being consistent, right? So like there's some where you can just go and just mark for a while and not or not have markings and then put it at, you know, like intersections to let people know that you should or shouldn't take that turn. Um, but I think with like with the way that I like to mark with the the groups that we have for our races that are down on Long Island are more like line of sight or where the next place that you would look. So a lot of times where I'm putting a clothespin out, I'll look to see where another place that I can see is further down and I'll, I'll put it there. With a race that's like a long, something like a hundred K or a hundred mile. Do you yeah. mark the whole course? Like if you like at bear mountain, that's a hundred miler, right? Uh, it's 50 miles, but there were, Damn, uh, I'd have to ask for sure, but there were well over 50 miles, of course, for sure. Because so, so Bear Mountain, um, any of the North Face races that I've worked are actually uh, really complicated to mark because there's there's multiple colors. I forget how many colors there are, but they do a 50 mile, uh, they do a 50K, they do a marathon, they do a half marathon, and then they do like a 10K and a 5K. And each one of those have different colors. Um, so you've got to have different color ribbon on you at all times. Um, if you're marking whatever it is, and then you got to mark it and put it up there. It's, it's pretty annoying. It's quite but, the day. It is. Yeah. But I mean, like, but that's the other thing. Like I, I got paid to go hang out in the woods. Like, I mean, what, that's like, true. right. Like, I mean, you sit on, I mean, and, and then there's other things that think about it too, right? Like you're, you're out there and you're, you know, like, I mean, I, I got, we had to put like an extra hour or so on our feet, me and this dude, because we were coming down one of the trails. And as we're coming down the trails, we saw six bear cross the trail and they stopped kind of like right where we needed to go. Um, so we decided we were just going to go around them. They're like, hey, it's our mountain. Yeah, we we're like, no, we're, we're cool. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's, I really think it's just, I mean, to me, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it's being out there and, and doing, you know, it's, it's more talking to the folks or, or, or doing what you need to do um, for the specific audience that you have. Right. So like we cater to our event Tesla on Long Island, the Tesla Hertz, we care more and not care more, but we, we cater more to first timers, um, to older people because of our cutoffs are like super, super ridiculously long. Um, so it's more for, we do that to make sure that anybody's can go. You run a course that's a little bit more difficult that you, you end up getting a lot more talented, not talented, a lot more uh, vet people, I guess, or people who've been running a lot longer. They tend to know um, what to look for, but then you get somebody like Mike Wardian who gets lost no matter what. So <laughs> you know, it's, I don't, I think it's, it's what you, decide to deliver um so it seems like this like race directing and you know your parent it takes a lot of time you yeah. ran your first ultra in 2011 um yeah. which i'm assuming you had less children then yeah. um so why where, where was the jump from your first marathon to doing ultras was this something that nicole did as well no so she had never run she had, so we had we had talked about she had run a marathon she had run a few marathons I think like six or seven or something um, when we had met and then um, after we decided that we were gonna you know stay together and all that we had kind of decided we were gonna run uh, the 50, 50 states so we we're gonna do a, a marathon in every state um, and then I read a Runner's World article about a dude who ran hundred mile race. And it was, um, I wish I could find the article or I wish I could find the actual copy of it. It was a dude who had these like B striped leggings on and they were a big part of the, the story. And I don't fully remember why. Um, but he had ran them and whatever. And he talked about it. And I remember just like putting down the article and looking at a call and being like, that sounds amazing. Like that's ridiculous. Like just a hundred miles and just running and like all the experiences that he went through and he ended up DNFing in it, I think, but it was just this like wild, like ride and i was like that's it this is what i want to do so i looked for 100 to sign up for and i didn't know that you needed to like i mean i guess like i don't want to sound like 
like I've been doing this that long, but like even 10 years ago, like there were, weren't as many and a lot more of them required you to do something over 50 miles beforehand. Um, or at least the ones that I had saw. So I signed up for Virgil Crest to run 50 miles and I ran uh, to the turnaround point and promptly DMF'd because I didn't belong there at all. It was uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I got beat up. That's um, a pretty tough course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I came from Long Island. I didn't know. I, I didn't really fully understand how difficult that course was, but it was close and it was the registration was open. So I ran, signed up for the 50 um, and I showed up and I just got beat up and chew and I fell in love with ultra running and trail running and, you know, ultimately the community up here as well. Um, so that was your first ultra. Did you run on trails at all? Like what was your training looking like up to there? There's a little bit of trails down on Long Island, but mostly it was road. I mean, there's really not, I think there's like, I think there's under like 350 miles of total trail on Long Island. If you were to like literally go out and run every mile of all the trails down there, um, and, but I had hit a lot of it, but there's not a lot of elevation there. So it was, it was more difficult for it to get up and, and do stuff like that. Um, well, ultimately you, so was your first, your first ultra was Comset. Was that yeah. how far after, um, Virgil Crest did you like complete your first ultra? That was months, months. So it was like, so the D I think the DNF thing, like that really, it haunted me. And I mean, Virgil itself, the, all the DNFs had there haunted me and they, they kind of pissed me off because every time I thought I was prepared and then whatever it was that I had dialed in um, wasn't what blew me up the next time. So it was, it was this really weird way of, of all that. So um, I, yeah, it was. And then I continuously just found whatever the next thing that I could sign up for was to prove to myself that I could do it. So like um, I signed up for the 50 mile and I was like, ah, oh, that's it. And the next event was whatever Comset is in like March or something like that. So I signed up for that and went out and did that. Um, and then even my first attempt at the hundred mile in, um, uh, at Virgil, just, I really badly failed there. Um, and then went and signed up for the New Jersey trail series in like April or something like that to do that one. So it was really right after. Yeah. And I mean, you did really well. You got 10th there in 20 hours, which yeah. eventually you did finish Virgil. And at Virgil, you also got 10th, but yeah. 30 hours. Like, yeah. okay. Can you explain to me like the like difference in hundreds there? I mean, yeah. like 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, preparedness, really. I think, I mean, A, like the, the, the New Jersey course is a lot thinner like a lot smaller um it was still loops but there was it was flat right um so you're you're going out and like doing stuff there um and then the virgil courses i mean it's anybody who's either heard about it or knows anybody that lives around here it's like this ominous you know like just this epic course that just it just hands you something every single time and with with ian whether it was either by design or or just because he needed to um yeah exactly like it was it was always tweaking it right so because it was always tweaked like it, it always had something new um and and i think with me um because of going into spartan which is what ultimately stopped letting me run as much as i was which kind of led to me not signing up to a lot of races and not being able to train as much um it just at one time i was fit enough to stay on my feet and that was all I needed. And I was like, that's it. I don't care. I don't care about time. I'm not even going to try and run. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to go. And then I'm just going to come back. And it was really, really weird. Sometimes around like 30 miles or 40 miles, I looked at Nicole. I'm like, I got this. She's like, easy. Like, you've got a lot longer to go. I'm like, no, I know it. I have it. And it was, that was it. I just kept walking. And it was, I'm not super proud of that time, but I'm also, I got a buckle. So. And it's 10th place. So yeah. I mean. Only nine people were ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? In races like that too, like, I, I mean, as much as, as much as 10th place sounds cool, I think like the, the other part of it to me sounds better. Like all those people had to stop at some point, right? Like, because 
to me, that's when I, I gave a lot of those folks credit, like because I DNF'd a bunch and I watched people finish or I watched people keep going back out or I came back the next day, you know, from one of the hotels or whatever it was to watch some other people finish. You, you, you feel for it. You're like, wow, like I slept last night and, and that person's out there still going. And it's, it's, it, it just, it's, it's different. It's, it's incredible to me. Like, I'm like, I probably slept for three days and you're still going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty so, well. I did notice that on your ultra signup, you do like do one or two ultras a year. Like it's pretty manageable. And yeah. in my brain, I was like, oh, it's probably a strategy. Like he, you know, uh, just wants to be ready for each race. It's like the elites that do two marathons a year. But really, I mean, you kind of just led it, me to like, you just didn't have time, you know, like a work, race directing family, um, which I mean, that's a strategy, you know, I mean, they're keeping you healthy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's, it's that. And, and then it's also the fact that um, like Nicole likes to run, right? So she wants to do everything that I do just as much. So it's, it's, it's hard to not hard, but it, it's part of that balance. So um, now with kids, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, but before we used to run a lot of the same races. So like when we signed up for New Jersey, she ran the 50 mile, I think that year. Um, and then the next year I ran the 50 mile and she went out and ran the hundred mile or the hundred K. So it was just, we just, whatever fit into our realm of training or what we wanted to do, we would try and find races that had, um, something for both of us at the time, or like we would go and, and one of us would volunteer at it. Um, now that we have kids, it's a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit more of like, all right, who's going to hang with the kids while the other one runs or something along those lines. Yeah. What is like a daily schedule look like? Like say you're both going to train for a race. Um, yeah. how do you guys manage your time so that you're able to watch the kids and stuff? I'm assuming there isn't much running together going on. No, we haven't ran together in, in a really long time. Um, but actually, yeah, it was, man, it's gotta be, it's gotta be almost the year. <laughs> it was, uh, the, we don't, we suck honestly at like real training schedules and stuff like that. Um, I think we could probably do a lot better at that, but I think really it's what we'll like wake up in the morning and, um, whoever wakes up first will be the one that goes, or we'll kind of talk about the week early on in the week and be like, Hey, th these are my like broad goals. Like I want to kind of run long here and I, want to go out these kind of days and then we'll talk about it. Like if it gets to the point to where one of us, you know, haven't ran in like two days, it'll be like, yo, I'm, I'm getting up and running early tomorrow. I don't care what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I always think that, you know, there would be like a scientific schedule or something, but even when I was talking to rich, he's like, oh, I sort of run when Jude naps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I mean, it's it, like kids just do that. And like, I think there's like, at some point it happens to every parent. Like you're like, I got this, this is easy. They're sleeping, they're doing this. And then all of a sudden the kid is just like, Nope, no, that's different now. And it just continues to happen. And you just realize that now you're just kind of just doing whatever and you make it work. And, and I mean, and there's, there's some really great things. I mean, with, you know, with kids, like I, I used to say it all the time that like some of the best recovery attitude that I have is because your kids don't let you recover the way you think you want to, right? Like you want to stay, stay in bed a little bit later or put your feet up when you watch TV and your kids are like, no, can you carry me to bed and carry me up the stairs? And like, you just run a whole bunch and then your kid's saying it and you're like, yeah, sure. And you try it and you wobble upstairs and it's kind of weird, but it, it pushes you to do things that I think maybe you just wouldn't push yourself to do. Yeah. Um, Katie Arnold, who won Leadville, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, she just came out with a book called um, Running Home. Mm -hmm. And uh, she in it, she talks about also making her life was kind of like training. And um, you mentioned scrubbing courses and marking. Yep. And I mean, you've gotten some pretty serious mileage from doing that i mean yeah. parenting and doing all the things that you do for the races that you're training for that's training yeah 100 i mean it's and i think like uh it was in that I, I think i let myself have that or understand it um or at least accept it right if um when i saw unbreakable um and uh jeff rose he he talks about that like working all day and then going out for a run afterward and I was like, oh, man, that's that's kind of, yeah, that you do. Like, you spend 10 hours on your feet, and then you go run afterward. You might not be able to put in 20 miles, but if you put in 12 
after you know a 10 hour day walking around all day long doing stuff your legs are pretty tired it might be equivalent to a 20 mile run or you know maybe you know even more so i think it is i think it's just different you know and looking at different ways to train and different ways to accept that stuff yeah you know they say like after a woman is it gets pregnant and has a kid then like you know some sometimes it's like a performance boost but i just like i think that she's just so tired her body's just like <laughs> when i'm finally ready to race i am ready yeah yeah i yeah i mean nicole I, like i i don't know she ran she ran all the way up until the doctor i think it was like two weeks before um the, the doctor was just like hey you have to stop um and uh, whatever was going on it was kind of like just not good um so she's like you have to stop running and then with uh samantha uh our second kid she she we went for a hike uh at hammond hill the day um the day before uh we went to the hospital so she was moving the entire time yeah um it, that's quite amazing i mean does nicole so like what what is her like role so let's talk about race directing i guess like what is your what is the roles that you each play like whose idea was it um how did this get started so we were sitting there wow man i don't even remember what we were actually like doing or reading or, or whatever it was but we had heard about a fat ass race and and what it was by itself and and how um how that happened and for anybody who's listening or watching that doesn't know it's just kind of like a free race that like doesn't have a race director but does but somebody kind of organizes and whatever it was so we were like man that would be fun and, and we were we were kind of upset with the the long island ultra running scene specifically because it didn't seem as as good as it could be um and we had come up and, and run stuff like, you know, the New Jersey trail series and, you know, finger lakes, uh, you know, we had run finger lakes 50 at that point. I think we had run the monster marathon. We had run some of Ian's races. So like we had seen other things. We had run the dirty German and we were like, man, we need to, we need to do something. So we did it and it was great. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and that was really how that was our first event that we put on. And then we were like, man, we could do this for real. Like we could, we could definitely get into this. Um, and I, I, I don't think we have roles. I mean, if you, if you talk to Nicole, she'll probably say that I do a lot of it. Um, but I think a lot of it gets done. Um, but ultimately I, I think it's, it's neither one of us could do what the other one does, but neither one of us could do it without the other one either. If that makes sense. Um, no, that totally does. I mean, be behind the face of everything, there's always somebody else, you know, man or woman, you know, whatever. Um, and I think it's really cool that you guys have this partnership, you know, you sort of met through running, like supported each other through running and then decided, you know, we can really build something here and happily running is, is it's really great. You guys have three races. Um, yep. So let's talk about this past year, how it's been yeah. um, relatively new race directing company. Um, I mean, not well, sort of, and um, you know, in yeah. March, the world shuts down and mm -hmm. I know you guys did a lot of virtual stuff, which was really cool and very supportive. Um, yep. But then eventually you started putting races on in person. So talk about that decision. Yeah, so it was really hard, honestly. Um, so we we had we had to postpone our our April event um, to I think it was like September or something like that, and we had still gotten all the approvals from it. And talking to a few people who are in the medical field, um, none that are you know like in, I guess none that are you know like that are like virus experts, but most that had had some sort of understanding of all that stuff. We had kind of talked to them a little bit and we kind of felt comfortable putting on our event. Um, the only thing that we didn't feel comfortable with was putting people on a bus from um, one side to the other of Long Island. Cause it's a point to point. Um, and then we were going to try and put it on. And because it was a point to point, we felt like we could stagger the starts. We could keep people away from each other. We could do enough. We could scale down the, the aid stations or not put aid stations out. Um, and we had thought through all that stuff. And then a really bad storm came through Long Island and just made some of the parks that we utilize inaccessible. So we had to postpone that event until next year. Um, and then the decision to put on, um, the other race that I'm, I'm a part of. So I'm also a part of Laurel Highlands ultra, which, um, 
Nicole technically isn't because it's more of a partnership with two other guys um, from Redpoint uh, Productions. Uh, but still, I mean, Nicole's just as much as part of anything as she is with me. So she's kind of part of that um, via proxy, but whatever. So we ended up, we, we took a lot of that advice and took a lot of that stuff and we leaned heavy on some other people and we were able to solve the bus thing by just increasing the bus capacity. Um, and that was pretty good. And then we did the same thing with our Tesla race. Uh, we had put that one on after talking to folks and um, the area that we put that on in, there was enough um, spots to keep people fairly distant from each other. Um, what we did do was uh, in all the races, we said there was no crew allowed. Um, there were limited pacers available. Um, we changed some of the times. We did all that stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think it was just we reduced capacity enough to feel good that we could provide a safe space for that amount of people to do something that either they felt they were comfortable doing or we felt we were comfortable letting them do. So the, I think the big issue people have had, and I mean, I've thought about it as well is like, there aren't really any rules like, like our government, there isn't a governing body telling you this is exactly what to do. And this is how you can have your race. If this, I mean, you know, we've had, obviously we're taking our instructions from governor Cuomo. Um, and I think that you guys did a good job with just like taking those instructions and staying within them. But I think the problem remains like that there isn't like an overarching thing that we might've needed for this pandemic. I mean, hopefully that by June summer, it'll be a little bit different, but, um, you know, so what were like some of the things that you specifically did, uh, that like aligned with the governmental regulations? Yeah. So, um, well, one of them was the wave starts, right? So um, I think one of the easy things to do is that if you have a hundred people, you just stay there longer, right? So you make your start longer, you make your start, um, you start, you know, your start times, just stretch them out. So you can have five people go off at a time. You can have 10 people, whatever the space is comfortable enough with you for. Um, I think that's pretty big. Um I think one of the, the the key components, honestly, is is judging your audience too. So a lot of racers kind of want to go out and do that stuff, but more importantly, I think the volunteers are really what, what not what counts, but like those are the ones that we had to kind of like um, listen to and talk to and then feel out. So um, my father in law runs one of the aid stations um, at, uh, at any of our events he's showed up to because he just loves being a part of them. Um, but he had recently had a stroke. So, or yeah, he had recently had not a stroke, but he had, uh, something up with his heart. Um, so we didn't want him to be there and he didn't really feel comfortable being there. So we had to kind of, you know, figure that out with some other volunteers, but moreover, just talk to them about, you know, like what they were comfortable doing, what they weren't comfortable doing, and then just not letting them do it. But then, um, so like for Tesla, what we did was, is we put up a menu. So we had a whiteboard. Um, like, I don't know, maybe like 50 to hundred feet before the aid station and you passed it and you're like, all right, cool. That's, what's going to be at the aid station. So you had that time to think about it. And then when you got to the aid station, you're like, oh, can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Some of those candies. And then some of this, um, most everything that we had was single serve. It cost us a decent amount more money. So instead of like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, we had uncrustables out. Um, and then we were a little bit more conscious of, you know, things like that. Um, after that, there's, you know, there's not much else that you can do. One of the things that we did, um, is we tried to mimic some contact tracing. Um, we can't, like, we don't have the the ability to like, you know, develop an app and, you know, keep people around. So what we did was we relied on a bunch of folks. We asked them very specifically right up front, or we told them specifically right up front that we would be following up with them in a couple weeks. Um, and we followed up with everybody, I think 10 to 15. 14 days later, maybe 14 days around that. Um, and we asked them all, um, told them that it was fully confidential. We weren't going to say anything. We weren't going to do anything um, until we talked to them and do all that stuff. And, you know, everybody said that they they didn't get any either COVID symptoms or they didn't, you know, have to get tested. And so. So in addition to running your own races, though, you also time for a couple of races. And yeah. so 
you know, you've seen a lot. And so like, be honest though, like how do you think runners are doing? How are we responding to the, res the restrictions that yeah. are being placed on us? You know, like, what have you seen? I mean, I, I, like, I like, we all like to believe that runners are these selfless people, but you know, I mean, we all, it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, I think at the end of the day, things are going well ish. Um, but I, I think really like it, it's, it's, you know, I mean, so two things, right? Like running runners are just, you know, a, 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 an abstract of the community. So if your community is eh, when it comes to that, um, that type of stuff, then that's what your runners are going to be like. And I, I think there's, there's an appreciation, um, that's from a lot of the runners that have been around for a long time, because you as a runner, like, you know, yourself or, or me or, or any of us who've been doing it a while, miss it, right? Like I, I miss running. I miss events. I, I miss that stuff, but are really, 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 um, you, you're really, you're appreciative if an event happens. So, so you don't care if somebody says like, Hey, pull up a mask when you roll into an aid station, you're like, yeah, sure. That's cool. I'm just grateful that I'm out here right now. Right. You know, if you somebody says they have to take your temperature. Um, but I think there's always a couple of, you know, like rough spots and people are, you know, kind of pissed. I think it's really up to the, to the race director and the organizers, um, to really push it, um, on to people. And, and I think, you know, if you, if you don't see it out of them, if you don't see them doing it, if you don't see it, it being a culture, if they're not pushing it every time, you know, that they put up an email, like for Laurel Highlands, we had, um, mask, uh, mask ups, uh, mask up, uh, signs before every aid station. So you had a couple of them that you would roll into and you saw it, there was a sign that just said, put your mask up. And it's, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but the more you see that and like that cost us maybe $4, like to do that. So I think it's, it, it's, it's up to the race director ultimately to push that stuff on people. Yeah. And I mean, from the, like what I've heard and, um, from, you know, um, what you said, it seems like, uh, you guys have done a pretty good job. I think, um, the struggles that come up is more, um, sorry, the controversies that more arise is like when people are traveling for races, you know, like, Oh, that's so cool to, Oh, wait, what you want, you cross the country. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think the, the other thing just to, to go back to that, I think some of the issues that I've seen more are in the shorter races, right? So like in the five K's and stuff like that, because those are folks that are just out there like trying to run or trying to do stuff. And maybe they're newer runners or maybe they've been around. Um, so I think that's where that stuff is, is as well. Do you, where do you see the future of running? Like, do you think that this pandemic has helped or hindered um, participation in running? That's solid. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I think it's, um, I think it's helped it, but marginally, I, I think the bigger thing to me is going to see is going to be races that come out of it. Right. So like, um, just like talking about like Spartan and, or New York city or, you know, like, uh, the New York city marathon or the, you know, the rock and roll marathons or even Ironman. Like, I don't know how they're going to come out of this. Like we're not going to be able to have thousands of people next year. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, happily running will be fine next year because we can put on an event with a hundred people and that's fine. And it won't be as, productive for us but like if we make a few bucks less it's not that big of a deal for us but when you talk about those big events like that they need to make that stuff so i think smaller event companies are going to see a boom um, because i think they're the ones who are going to be able to hang on for a little while i don't i don't think that those bigger companies are going to be around for as long yeah i just don't think they're going to be I don't, I, i'm curious to see what's going to happen to them next year yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I, I mean, personally, like, I I like smaller races because yeah. I get a lot of, like, anxiety being surrounded by billions of people. <laughs> so now I know I was just preparing myself for a pandemic. <laughs> Same. I, I'm not going to lie. I have, I have like, space bubble issues. I don't like and it's. I've kind of enjoyed it. And I'm going to be honest, I am not sad that there will not be, hopefully never again, a communable of M&Ms. <laughs> fun size packs, everybody. Let's come on. That's that's what they're there for. There you go. Sure. 
Well, um, Vinny, this has been a great enlightening conversation. Um, mm -hmm. As someone who set up a lot of aid stations in his day, we're gonna we're gonna end this uh, two days before Christmas show with a good old game that I like to call, call that I like to play called Ideal Aid Station. Yeah. All right. So you're rolling up to uh, Virgil Crest, 50 miler. Yeah. You are either like, I'm going to finish or I'm going to drop out right now. But this aid station is going to like revamp. Yeah. It's going to have everything you need to finish that race. Okay. So yep. uh, favorite sweet snack. Oh, I, it would have to be M&M's. M&M's. Yeah. I mean, like, ultimately always they're, they don't do well on my stomach, but they're fantastic. They've got like the perfect amount of chocolate and the perfect amount of candy for me. So do you eat that stuff in a race, even if you know it's not good for your stomach? No, I try not to. <laughs> it depends. Like if I'm like, uh, like I don't, I don't drink soda outside of like some like Ithaca beer soda, but like that's, that's really it. Um, and I, I will, I will totally towards the end of an event, I'll totally down some like Mountain Dew. For oh sure. yeah. Yeah. But no, I try not to. I've tried. And I think with that, though, I think recently more and more aid stations have gotten better and better at, at, at providing stuff that isn't garbage. Yes, uh, that's true. There's a lot of good stuff out there now. Yeah, the organic M&Ms. Amazing. <laughs> Favorite salty snack? Does bacon count? Bacon? Sure. Yeah, or, yeah, well, I mean, we can go with Pringles, too. Oh, yeah. Chips. Yeah. Pringles. Bacon yep. flavored Pringles. Like Pringles. Like Lay's or something like that. I can't, I can't handle, but Pringles. Pringles are good. Yeah. I recently just found out from watching John Oliver that they're not even potato chips. They have to be called potato crisps. Oh. Yeah. They don't have enough actual potato in them to be considered. Yeah. That's a, a solid snack, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, favorite hot food? Uh, I would go bacon there or a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger for your aid station? Yep. Yes. Um, favorite uh, sports drink. Oh man, um, it was scratch until this past weekend. But yeah. What happened this past weekend? <laughs> well, I, I ran a bunch overnight uh, two nights ago, and my stomach just was not doing well. And uh, for a solid like six hours, my stomach was just not right. And I I don't know if it was the scratch, but like. I don't know if you ever like drank when you were younger and like that, whatever it was that you drank too much of that made you throw up, like it, that thing sticks or like, even if you like get food poisoning or something, like I still mm -hmm. eat broccoli because yeah, sour cream yeah. for me. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that was what, so right now just the thought of scratch is just not flying well with me, but it's usually scratch. Uh, favorite non-sports drink. Uh, coffee. Coffee. Yeah. Like cold brew at the aid station or hot Ooh. coffee. I'm hot coffee. I'm not a cold brew. I'm not like for me, coffee needs to be hot. I'm a kind of a coffee snob. So it's always black and it's always hot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we can discuss this offline. Um, favorite item of gear that would uh, make that would just like make your day at the aid station. Oh man. I don't know. I don't Oh, I don't run with music often. Um, but if I did and I was probably like really down, it would be, the the aftershocks, those, the treks. Oh so, yeah. You got yeah. them on now. I do. Yeah. I wear them constantly because they're fantastic. Um, I have a pair. Um, I liked them, but then I got this, a different pair of, um, wireless headphones from, um, Jaybird and I love yeah. them more. So I just, you know what it is? I love the fact that like, I can go out and I can still hear it. Like, you know what it is? It's like somebody put music in my head which is just yeah. it's that's perfect if i could do that sign me up like if you could just implant like something i could stream music to that's fine yeah i mean you're there's supposed to be good to hear cars but i bet you're just good like you can hear your child screaming and you're like oh yeah yeah you can i mean and they're great for you know stuff like this but the you know to be able to hear you or their you know phone calls or all that stuff i wear them constantly but yeah that yeah. would that would cheer me up significantly if i was if i was not doing fantastic all right, last question. Yeah. You can't pick Nicole. Yeah. Um, if you could have like a celebrity or um, somebody to meet you at the aid station, maybe just give you a pep talk, or even if they were able, let's say everybody can run, run a couple yeah. miles with you, who would that be? If it can't be Nicole, can it be one of my kids? No, it has to be like a famous celebrity. Like, who are you fangirling? Oh, my God. 
Uh, it would probably it's gonna so sound so weird. This is really weird. It would probably be oh man, um JD from Scrubs, but not like not Zach, like not the real like not the actor, like JD from Scrubs. JD, okay. You know, yeah. It would have to be him. Like it would he would have to like show up as him and like be in that character. And, that and he could even take care of you if you like, you know, fell yeah. over on the trail. I've never watched Scrubs, so I'm assuming he can. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a silly show, but it's, it's one of those shows that like, I don't know, like it just, I watch it and I'm like, man, it's just, I would be part of that. There's not, I'm not a big movie or show kind of person, but like that would, that, that was, that was a solid show. Yeah, they're just shows that make you smile. Yeah, and that was it. Like, I could put on any episode and be like, yeah, all right, cool. Well, Vinny, thank you for playing my game. You win. Same here. Awesome. Um, and just to close out the show, where can people find you online? Uh, give us, like, social media links and anything, any cool projects coming out of Happily Running. Yeah, so hey, me personally, I'm Vinny Runs on everything i think um and then same happily running is happily running on everything either instagram facebook twitter uh we're not on twitter at all much we are on tiktok and i haven't done anything yet with that um next cool project we do have a really cool idea for a virtual run um it's i was gonna try and launch it tomorrow but probably not um i can tell you about it which is kind of cool it's a monolith mile which we're going to print out uh, a or send you a monolith, a little small one, and you can take it with you on your run and take a cool picture of it. And the whole idea is that it's going to be more of like, a, just show us a cool place that you like to run, not a speed thing, not a distance thing, not a vertical thing, not a time thing. Just show it and we'll have prizes and stuff that'll give out for cooler or most liked Places. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that it's pretty like that. Everybody sign up for that. That sounds right. cool. Exactly. I need to make like a business case for the 3D printer that I got. So that was it. That's really cool. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on, Vinny. And have a happy holiday. And awesome. uh, I hope you're going to tune into the holiday show next week. It'll be great. I will. I will. And I will see you on the interwebs. Thanks. See you later. You too. Well, that's going to be our show for tonight, everybody. Thank you to Vinny for answering all of my questions. Uh, what a wonderful guy. And um, just don't forget about our holiday show that's going to be airing next Thursday, the 31st. We're going to have a lot of awesome guests. We're going to do a lot of fun things. There's going to be a baking competition, too. Um, I don't know if I get to taste test that, but, you know, it'll be cool. Again, thanks to our Patreon supporters. And uh, have a happy and safe holiday, everybody. And um, have a good night.